Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. And wherever you find yourself today, with a cup of tea, washing the dishes, running laps around the track, settle in and enjoy the Deep Waters Podcast. Praise God. <laughs> Here we are. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Jace. We have a special guest with us today, the great <gasps> Justin Ross. Yay! The master pastor, as he's known around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> glad to be here, guys. <laughs> we're really excited glad. to be here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we're excited to glean from your wisdom. Really, any time that you speak and I get mm. the blessing of listening, I feel so grateful. Wow. And this is fun because this conversation is multiplicative. A lot of people can hear it. And um, I know that you have a lot to offer here in the fivefold conversation as someone that's um, really clearly gifted in the shepherding grace and someone who also has experienced a lot of fivefold expressions in different churches Mm -hmm. and just been aware of healthy church structures and not quite as healthy church structures. And I just know that that wisdom will, um, yeah, pour into this conversation. So I'm eager, but, um, before we go down into too much, I'm just curious to hear Justin, I've already typecast you. So forgive me if that, if I jumped the gun there, but it's all good. Um, yeah. How do you identify when it comes to the fivefold and how long have you Have you seen that in your life all along? Yeah, great question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I got a prophetic word when I was about 14 years old that I was called to be a pastor. Wow. And um, it was a correct word, but it was a word I was not ready to hear. So I spent the next several years kind of running from that word, afraid of that word, because I, for a lot of reasons, um, but I was a 14-year-old kid, kind of called out of a larger gathering, Mm -hmm. And at the time, I just wanted to be really good at basketball, you know, (laughs) like I didn't really identify as a pastor at all. So I would say it took a work of grace in my heart to soften me to like God's call in my life. And um, at the time, I would say pastor had a lot of stereotypes around it as well. It was it was it was not like today where we see hipster pastors (laughs) or this pastor or that pastor, you know, the cool pastor thing, which is we see so much of today. Uh, and that's not negative. That's just, it's, it was a different world back then. Hmm. And I saw serious, I saw harsh, Hmm. I saw, you know, a very religious mindset a lot Hmm. of times. And so I didn't really identify with that at all. And so I, I kind of shrugged off that word. My parents didn't decent job of helping me just put it on the shelf with was which is what we should do with mm. prophetic words mm. that don't sit well with us and then about two years later i was in the jungles of taman tamaz and mexico and had a really significant encounter with god wow. and that's when 
for the first time, I saw God's glory descend on a group of about 100 uh, Mexican nationals in the jungles. And I saw God's glory descend on us as a people group. It was tangible. It was visceral. There was no denying it. And I was completely wrecked. And after that moment, I saw people crying out for God. I saw his glory descend on us. And pretty much everybody that was on the mission trip was speechless. Like, what just happened? And as I was kind of processing that, like, what did I just observe? What did I just see? I, the father spoke to me and he said, if you give me your life, I'll use your life to change the world around you. And so I said yes on that really rainy jungle trail down the mountain in the jungles of Mexico. And I've been saying yes ever since. And, um, but that's the day when I finally like said yes to God's call in my life. Mm. Up till then, I really didn't have any kind of clue about what my life was going to look like. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'd never heard that story before. Yeah. That's incredible. So it sounds like you grew up in a Christian environment. Yeah. Up until the age of 10, I grew up in a non-Christian environment. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, wow. And then I got saved at age 10. Okay. Started being discipled by my aunt, mm-hmm. who was a a youth leader in a Southern Baptist church in which women could not be leaders. Oh, wow. wow. So I was discipled by her in her youth group. Praise Jesus. She's a wonderful woman and a discipler of hundreds of people. Uh, and then, yeah, got just exposed to the way of Jesus. And I was coming from a really broken household. My parents divorced early on. A lot of insecurity, probably some depression looking back now. Um and just a lot of uncertainty of my life, like what's my life going to look mm. like? What's the purpose of my life? Kind of those like man's search for meaning, yeah. kind mm. of why do I exist? Existential questions going on inside of me. And then seeing this young youth group that's alive on fire for Jesus and all the mess that they were dealing with of some of them were pregnant teens and some of them are getting STDs, but they were like fully alive in Jesus. And like these people have something that I want and need. And that was my story of coming to Jesus. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. That's so cool. When in your walk with the church or relationship with the church, did you hear the term fivefold ministry? Yeah. And like start to see that unfold. Yeah. Great question. So age 11, I started going to Alaska where my dad had gotten radically saved and moved to Alaska and became part of a really a revival culture. Um, and that was the first time I was exposed to the fivefold ministry. Okay. They like, would they even use that term up there? They were, they used that term. Okay. They were one of the first, this was 80, 1982. So this was pretty early on and kind of were some of the early adopters of like fivefold ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first time I'd ever heard the word apostle was was when I went to that church. Um, and we saw pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles and prophets. And it was really different from like any church experience I had ever been to before. 
And it was really powerful. It was a really powerful culture in which people from all over the country were moving to, uh, getting saved, getting delivered, getting healed. Many people heal of addictions or, you know, just really colorful backgrounds. And, um, and then they were getting, you know, discipled. Discipleship was new to me, really. And then watching them go to Bible college, which I'd never had any experience with Bible college, but watched my dad go through Bible college for two years. And then all of a sudden now he's being raised up to be a shepherd, you know, uh, understudy uh, leader in what we would call a house church. Um, Very similar environments there. And so, yeah, saw it in live real action of how the gifts coming together really create powerful ecosystems that change people's lives. Yeah. I, I mean, what a cool opportunity that we have to hear the experience of someone who kind of grew up in their, your faith grew up in an environment where this language was familiar when, as far as I understand it, globally, this language was not common. Yeah. Not very common at all. Uh, Early adopter, like you said. Yeah. Not very common at Mm -hmm. all. I feel like I've just learned about it in the past few years too. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's cool to to have you here right now. I didn't know you had this much experience in all of this. So would you say that a large part of this revival culture that your church was experiencing had to do with the fivefold um, organizational structure of the church? Definitely. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I observed was, you know, apostles and prophets or apostolic and prophetic people, they were able to tap into what the spirit of God was wanting to do, the prophetic and the blueprints of heaven, the architectural drawings for what God had for a city and a region. So without those two gifts, um, functioning, um, it, it, it creates a lid, you know, Mm unlike the heaven to earth type of dynamic that we believe in, you know? Yeah. Uh, we believe Jesus words were really true <laughs> that your will be done on earth as it already is done in heaven. And yeah. so Amen. that pipeline between heaven and earth, you know, um, the prophetic and apostolic graces really are key in bringing that heaven to earth. So I saw it as a 11, 12, 13, 14 year old, you know, young person in action of like, wow, people are getting healed. Like signs and wonders are happening. Like it's not just something we talk about. It's something we're seeing, you know, and, um, some crazy stuff, you know, that you're like, wow, this didn't happen in the church. I, you know, saw early on in life. So so yes, I absolutely believe in the fivefold for that reason. Yeah. I've seen it in action. I've watched people's lives be radically shaped by it. And also am profoundly aware of some of the challenges that come alongside it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are a lot of those challenges, I mean, if you want to go into that a little bit, like just the different perspectives of those five different people, we've touched yeah. on that a little bit, but is that what you saw a lot happen or kind of what did you see that being in a really like, it feels like electric fivefold environment. Yeah. yeah. Good question. I was, I was young, so I didn't, I wasn't really connected with like the, 
the inside um, back room dialogue. I was later on. That's the church I eventually pastored in. So 15 years later, as a as a 25 year old, we moved back to Alaska to be a part of the same church. And now we were about 15 to 17 years removed from revival. So the revival had subsided Mm -hmm. and pastoring in that context post revival we learned a lot you know we learned a lot of things that we thought were working really well that weren't working as well you know we we thought um that people were doing a really good job shaping family cultures Mm -hmm. you know because they were being encouraged to but we found out otherwise you know um so yeah there was a lot of like lessons learned in arrears which is always hard you know yeah um but super good and helpful. And I would say I carry some of that with me today as far as like my engagement here of like, how do we not repeat some of those, you know, how do we, how do we get ahead of those? Um, But to answer your question more directly, one of the challenges that apostolic cultures have is they have to function at a high level of honor, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, when we honor the teaching grace, when we honor the prophetic, the apostolic, evangelistic, pastoral graces, that's what makes them all come together and be a manifold grace that the Lord is dispensing through, mm. you know? And um, my favorite metaphor, we were talking about metaphors a minute ago, my favorite metaphor for the apost- or the yeah the apostolic ecosystem or the fivefold is uh, the orchestra, you mm. know? I think of the Holy Spirit and the father as the conductor of the orchestra, you know, the person that's kind of like directing mm-hmm. the song. Mm-hmm. And then if you imagine the prophetic is like, you know, the drums or the percussion session, that's just like kind of driving mm-hmm. and, 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 and raising intensity and, and, and making mm-hmm. things, you know, flow. And then uh, the pastoral, more like the winds, you know, the apostolic, like the brass, like there's these different parts of the orchestra Yeah. that like, but it's, it's the wind that blows through the different instruments hmm. that bring a full sound of a song. Wow. You know? And at some points in the song, the conductor is looking at different parts of the orchestra, you know, there's some parts that the percussion drops out of, there's some parts that the winds are not playing in. You know, there's parts that the brass is only, you get the idea, but it's mm-hmm. like when the Holy Spirit's the, the conductor of the orchestra, it's like, he's going to, he's going to blow on different parts mm. at different seasons in that song. And that's what makes the song truly beautiful. It's brilliant. And I love that analogy because I think it really fits for what I've experienced too. There were, there were seasons when it was largely pastoral or largely evangelistic or largely dominated by prophetic, you know? And so it's like, if we get our feelings hurt because the conductor's not kind of pointing at us or our particular bent, you know, we can, we can miss out. Mm. There's a beautiful song that the Lord wants to like lay out in the way, in the manner he wants to lay it out. And we have to trust him and we have to honor the gifts that are not our own, you know, that requires a lot of humility from each gifting. It does. It? I'm thinking if 
the brass instruments are going on this incredible tune and everything's yeah. wonderful and the crowd is loving it and then the conductor starts to shift if the brass doesn't want to lose control yeah it wants to like keep playing then yeah. the song is about to fall out of balance and it's not going to sound super good you have to be submitted to know when to pick up your instrument and when to put it down yeah that's right. exactly right huh. i feel like we've seen this at happen at Riverhouse too over the past three years I feel like we've seen us go through kind of a pastoral season and then a more prophetic season which we might be in now or or leaving or you know and like we're just seeing these things rise and um, I know talking to people it kind of feels like oh we've moved from pastoral to prophetic we've left pastoral behind and it's only prophetic from here on out you know and Mm. it's maybe a good perspective to have that ebb and flow, you know, just as in a song. Um, do you feel like we've, like we've seen that here at river house? Yeah. I think I, to some extent, I think I agree with what the sentiment. Okay. I might word it a little bit differently. Yeah, totally. You know? I, mean, I think the pastoral pretty much operates, um, differently mm-hmm. than maybe a lot of people are used to. Mm-hmm. So it's really more like how do we contextualize the pastoral within an apostolic framework? Yeah you know, or within the tensions of the greater fivefold ministry mindset. So the pastoral happens a lot, you know, during the week, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it happens in our house church environments. It happens in pastoral ministry that's happening, you know, throughout the week. Mm-hmm. It's not a Sunday centric gift set in our ecosystem, which a lot of people are used to that. They're used to strong pastoral you know, people-centric, people-oriented family. Let's bring the family together. Let's equip the family. Let's let's bond and love. They're used to a lot of that messaging as a Sunday message. Yeah. That's not necessarily how it settles out as much in our ecosystem. So, yes, I agree. There, there seems to be that sentiment, mm-hmm. and I'm not opposed to that. I think that's yeah. valid. Mm-hmm. But I would also say there's a very important function of the pastoral ministry happening in our ecosystem. It's just not as uh, Sunday centric. Totally. That's good to be aware of. Um, and a follow-up question that is us being, we've, there's been this term apostolic wineskin yeah. that we're stepping into. Do you feel like in your past, um, I mean, in your past, have you seen the way, uh, what's the question I have? Has this has our church right now looked like other apostolic wineskins or ministries you've been a part of? Yeah. Like so does yeah. that like that same pastor pastoral balance versus yeah. prophetic balance during Sundays for during the week, that kind of thing. Yeah. Has that looked the same? Or yeah, is this no. something different? I think one of the challenges with, with apostolic movements is they're unique. Hmm. You know? They're not cookie cutter. There there's a unique blueprint, I believe, for Boise, Idaho treasure valley that's supposed to look different than say a bethel apostolic movement or you know there's similarities but there's uniquenesses and um and i love that i think that's exactly the way jesus wants it you know Mm. he wants original artwork you know and um and so there are similarities for sure Mm -hmm. but i think we're supposed to be unique Mm -hmm. you know i think we're not i think we're supposed to continue to be learners and yeah, we might have experiences, but we're like, we can never lose our, lose our learner hmm. in the process. You know, we can never 
weigh so heavily on our experiences that we stop being learners because we're all learning. Thinking from the perspective of the person that might be listening to this podcast, yeah, um, Justin, say there's somebody who feels like they plug into Riverhouse on a Sunday and definitely get the emphasis on worship, prayer, the prophetic, and maybe there's a lot of apostolic preaching that's happening, yeah, and they don't feel like that pastoral need that they find inside themselves is really being met. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious, what, what would you say to that person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that would really help that person um, is to think of the contexts that are more pastoral contexts. Mm. The big one here for us at Riverhouse is the house church. It doesn't mean it's only a pastoral context, but mm-hmm. belonging, connectedness, these are the pastoral heart. And and really those contexts happen best in circles, mm-hmm. in circle environments, you know. Um, it doesn't mean they don't happen on Sunday in row environments, but they're much more true connection, true, authentic, heart-to-heart belonging mm-hmm. happens best in circles. And... So I would just say to that person, like, I can completely understand some of those feelings. And a lot of people have those feelings. And you're not wrong in having those feelings. And also, you know, finding a, a group, a circle of people that you gather with, that you meet needs, you, you pray, you bond, you experience the Lord together, you read scripture together. Pretty soon you start having midweek dialogues through texts or, you know, how are you kind of thing, like building that communal sense of belonging. Those are, those are game changers for all of us. We all need those. None of us are impervious to those needs. And so that's really the pastoral heart is how do we live out family? How do we live out connection? How do we live out belongingness? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, which we are living in a world that is swimming in disconnection right now. We are the most disconnected we've been in a very, very long time, maybe ever in mm-hmm. this country. And mental health stuff is up 40, some say 50% over pre-COVID stuff. So it's like we're seeing the signs of disconnection, mm-hmm. you know, in our culture. So we have to fight hard to yeah. find these circle places where we can just be and be a part of a community, which is the pastoral heart, is the good shepherd right? Brings us into a family. Mm-hmm. We experience belonging with him and with others. And then we are loved and we are accepted. Mm-hmm. And the best version of ourselves comes out when we are loved and accepted, you know? That's good. So, so I would just say for that person that's listening, yes, it's very valid. And let's find circle environments mm-hmm. for you to find those things. I'm thankful you said it that way. Cause I think as a church, we are really doing our best to meet all these different needs. And it's broad, um, especially when you consider the importance of the fivefold. Yeah. Um, 
And so if that pastoral need isn't necessarily being met on a Sunday, maybe you need to recognize that at least in our church structure, and I'm assuming in most other church structures that are larger congregations, that pastoral needs can be met more in the circle space in Mm -hmm. the house church or the small group or life group or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But that requires some initiative. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of the participant of the congregant. It really does. It's true. Mm -hmm. And I would say, to be fair, it requires maybe a little more initiative in our culture, Mm. you know? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I think we're a very vertical culture and that's, again, that's not bad or wrong or even out of balance. Mm -hmm. It is part of our belief system of heaven wants to invade earth. And so the, the goodness that we see of having touching down on Sunday nights or in our house churches or whatever operates from that framework, you know, and then should lead into powerful horizontal ministry as well. That's good. So, yeah, I think our eyes are up in our culture vertically and, but our eyes also need to move from eyes up to eyes out to seeing people to bringing the, what I would call the welcoming spirit of Jesus Mm. He's so welcoming. He welcomes all at the table. Amen. And so our vertical ministry should translate and convert into powerful, welcoming, horizontal ministry, you know? And we're not there yet. We're not. As I can say that confidently, we we are not there yet, but we are also on the journey together of figuring out how do we do that well, you know? Maybe this is already being touched on, but I'm curious to hear you talk about what does a church look like? Say it's fourfold and the pastoral grace isn't present. Or if it's present, it is just only in a really minor way. But all the other graces seem to be hit quite well. Um, Yeah, what does that context feel like and why is that not the vision of Christ? Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I think would be distinctly missing if the pastoral grace was not around would be the we would we would miss the safety. We would, we would miss a sense of safety. You know, Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. You know that that's a that's a that's a leader, but it's also a guardian, hmm. protector. You right. know, and um, and so there would be a profound lack of safety, uh, lack of belongingness, lack of connectedness to those, to those ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And I think we have improvement to make in those areas. And also I think we're, like I said, we're learning and growing, Mm -hmm. but I, I do feel like we have an element of safety and connection and family, uh, in our ecosystem. So that really encourages me. And also, you know, as one who carries the burden for that, um, I know we have room to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And it could also be very true that one person's experience could be really safe and yeah, someone else's could not. And that can be for a lot of reasons. Maybe right. your church background is different. Maybe you're plugged in in a different way. Right. Maybe and you're just so bringing on. in a lot of life experience. It's different than everyone else and uh-huh. aren't quite able to match that up. And so right. you feel excluded, but... Exactly. So safety yeah. comes through things like explaining mm-hmm. or creating places of process, mm-hmm. you know? So if, 
if there's an absence of pastoral, then we'll just be doing things and ex- experiencing heaven or experiencing signs and wonders or people falling down under the presence of and power of God. But like, there'll be no place to process that or sure. no place to ask questions, which again, safety comes through process and asking questions and having mm. a place at the table to exercise my voice. So I, th- I think, you know, those would be some of the things that we wouldn't feel any of. And again, we have room to improve, right. you know, in those areas. So, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's good questions though. I've got a metaphor. I don't know if this is helpful, but I'm thinking I'm a runner. Uh, when I go for a run, I get thirsty and yeah. I need water. Yeah. And that thirst doesn't mean that the running is bad. Yeah. Um, that the thirst coming to me is a bad thing. It just means I'm in need of something and yeah. that need should get met. Yeah. Um, so I shouldn't interpret thirst as, oh, running is a bad thing. I need to stop. Um, and I'm curious if you have any insight on how in the fivefold, maybe say the apostolic or the prophetic um, graces are operating and there's a sense of a lack of safety sometimes. There's then like a like that thirst in my running metaphor, maybe there's a need for the pastoral to come in afterwards. Um, like, is there a place for that? Does that actually mean maybe the prophetic is doing what it should, uh, in making me feel convicted or challenged? Mm-hmm. I guess the word unsafe, mm-hmm. um, might not be the word to use in that situation. Yeah. Maybe conviction or yeah. challenge are yeah. better ones. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious if you have anything to say around that, because I wouldn't want someone to think, oh, well there was one sermon that made me feel so convicted that I'll call that a lack of safety. Right. Therefore the pastoral isn't present in this church and I need to leave. Right. Really great analogy. And I think you're onto something there. Yeah. I I would say for people that are newer to our culture, the prophetic and apostolic, particularly the prophetic is going to bring a holy disturbance that, is not bad or wrong, but unfamiliar. Mm, That's good. And so when pastoral conversations can be had with people, again, of helping them say, hey, I'm wondering if some of what you're feeling is like this holy disturbance. Mm -hmm. Because that's actually the the prophetic, the call of the prophet and the prophetic graces are to first and foremost guard the covenant with God. That, that our primary covenant is actually to him, with him. Amen. Right? They're guardians of the covenant. That's a disturbing message. Mm-hmm. Right? It can be. Secondly, what is the Spirit of God doing in the room right now? What is he wanting to do? Is he wanting to unveil our eyes to see things we haven't seen before or to unlock hearts or to, to heal? Like, what is the Spirit of God doing? To somebody who's unfamiliar, that can be a wholly disturbing moment. You know, mm-hmm. so I think it is important that the prophetic and the pastoral come together and are trusting and honoring both of those roles. I can't bring as a pastor, I can't bring the holy disturbance like a prophet or a prophetic person can. That's the grace of God unlocked on their lives through them, you know. Yeah. So, but it's important to have that connection of having pastoral connections and conversations of saying, yeah, talk to me about what that was like for you. Or let's talk about it in our house church. What was that like for you when that was happening in the room? You know? 
Mm-hmm. And is that bad or negative or is it a holy disturbance mm. that's actually of the Lord growing us in ways we haven't grown before? Excellent. You know, big difference between those two conclusions. <laughs> Huge. Right? Like yeah. what you said of the metaphor of the thirst. Mm-hmm. Is the thirst that something's wrong or is the thirst that something's right? Right. I just ran a long ways. I should be thirsty. I just experienced people encountering God all around me. I should be wholly disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that should compel me. Right. But is that bad? No. It might be exactly what I need. Wow, that's great. I'm glad we landed on that. And it also points to the need for the pastor to swoop in and say, hey, let me help you process that. Right. And for the need for the person who is experiencing that holy discernment to search out the pastor and yeah. say, hey, I need to process this. Yeah. Will, will someone help me? Yeah. And I think that's a, an atmosphere. Well, that's a need then for the atmosphere of the house church. Yeah. If you exactly have that right. circle group, you have a place for that processing. That's exactly right. And I like to think of our house churches as places where people can just be real and authentic Mm -hmm. with what's happening inside of them. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot happening in people nowadays, just in life in what's happening in our country and just, you know, where we are. Like there's just a lot, there's a lot happening in me. And so just like, there's such, it's such a life giving space to just be able to know that like I can go there on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday night and I can just be myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need those spaces for sure in yeah. this day and age. That's good. <laughs> I, I had this thought of, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Within the fivefold, fivefold, do you feel like the pastor is sometimes like the peacemaker between the other four? <laughs> like, how does that work? Because I know, I know, I like, I just, I don't know. I'm not putting that all on you, but I, I've seen like, you know, people disagree and I feel like often the pastors like come to the table kind of a thing. I'm laughing because this is a pain point. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, there must be truth. Though. Oh yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, it's not that big of a pain point, but absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I haven't really thought about it until now, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Has that fallen on you sometimes? I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I think it falls on house church leaders, mm-hmm. you know, our lay pastors, our lay shepherds. Um, I think it falls on, yeah, probably way more people than I'm even aware of in our culture, but for sure. You know, imagine putting a, not to pick on any of the other fivefold gifts, but, you know, a, a teacher gift, which has got to see everything in the Word, yeah. you know, and rightfully so. We need, we need the teachers, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then a, a highly prophetic person who's, you know, seeing this or seeing that and mm. many of those things which are not, scriptural (laughs) (laughs) and you put these two people in a house church and you know it's kind of like okay you can feel the tension in the air kind of so yeah those things happen a lot we used to joke at my former pastoral assignment um we used to joke that the pastor's job was to keep the teachers and the prophets from you know getting in too many clashes you know um because the prophets are seeing in the spirit they're seeing in heaven and but half of what they're saying is not super grounded in actual theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, the teachers are over there getting miffed like, Hey, 
I'm sorry, but that's not like in the Bible. So like, (laughs) you know, and the pastor's like, okay, you guys, like we got to be one big happy family here. Like (laughs) this isn't good. We have to get back to unity of the spirit, you know, like calling people kind of out of their corners into like Mm -hmm. fine common ground. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, that's good. And follow up (laughs) question to that is, I mean, I feel like we have a lot of teachers and prophets at River House. Hmm. Are there things you would say to a prophet to like, be nicer to teachers? Like, how would you like, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like to, to be more accommodating to teachers in their revival or their house church, you yeah. know, and then yeah. vice versa. Like, what would you say to those people? Yeah. I think what I would say is really honor. Well, mm-hmm. you really, you know, and honorary honor is different than flattery. Flattery is saying nice things about people. Honor is really reserving a placeholder inside of me for what you carry that's different than me, you know? And so, like, when that's a reality, a living, breathing reality inside of me, like, I can look at a gift set that's different than mine, and, like, there's, I recognize there's a placeholder inside of me for, they carry part of Jesus' manifestation that I don't, and I know that if I don't honor it, it won't actually be activated you know, to the same level. And so I think honor, starting with honor, it's really easy to honor the people who are just like me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's a challenge to honor the people who are different than me. And, um, but I think that's where like Christ love compels us. Mm-hmm. Like, like Jesus honored people who are way different than he was, Wow. you know? And he's a great living example of what it looks like to to change environments, to bring heaven into environments as we honor people. We see and we hold a place inside of us for what's different in them. And what happens is the whole ecosystem is upgraded in that moment, mm-hmm. you know. So, so I would just start with honor. And then also, um, you know, get to know people mm-hmm. that are different than you. Get to know a teacher, if you're a prophetic person, you know, let their hunger for the word drive you, encourage you, strengthen you in the word, you know, mm-hmm. let it sharpen your axe, yeah. you know, and similarly, the teacher to the prophetic person, you know, let their desire uh, to, to, to be a sharp edge of what is the spirit of God doing in the earth or in the room drive you, you know, That's good. to get beyond where your gift set maybe ends and into a different realm yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. Hmm. That's good. I, I love what you said about honor. I've never thought about it in the way of like having a placeholder in yourself for what they carry. I don't know. I Maybe you've said that before. It's not like I haven't been around you a lot, but I'm like, wow, that's, I love the way that's put, you know? Yeah. It's like recognizing that I have limits and you bring something to the table that I can't and I celebrate that. That's exactly right. I'm curious on that note if you would share limitations that you observe in yourself or in the pastoral grace. Yeah. Um, We talked with Megan Bailey a couple of episodes ago about blind spots that exist. 
um, in each of the five fold and how we uh, aspire to have those blind spots yeah. called out and filled in. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear you talk about that. Yeah. The big blind spot for the pastoral grace is that it's all about people. Hmm. That's the big blind spot. That's what drives us as pastors. We want to see people do well. We want to see people thrive, you know, and that's, that's so good. Like, yeah. like that's a great place to land and it does not mean heaven's coming to earth. Hmm. It does not mean signs and wonders and miracles are happening, you know, and Jesus didn't just come and gather a family and bring a shepherding presence. He also walked in signs and miracles and healing. Mm. So it's like the big blind spot is just thinking that like just meeting the needs of people is enough. It's actually not enough. God actually wants to invade people's story Mm. with his spirit and with his touch from heaven. Mm. And so we can get, if we get narrow sighted, we can lose the fact that just building one big happy family is going to be enough. Mm. It's actually not going to be enough. Sure. And ultimately people's destinies will be unlocked as heaven touches earth, as people step into environments Mm. where a greater realm is invading this realm. That's when destinies get activated and people find who they are in the kingdom. So yeah, that I think is the great blind spot for, for the pastoral, you know, and that probably speaks to what so many churches have looked like when they don't operate in a diversity of giftings, but there's a shepherd at the helm of the church, um, who works really hard to make everybody feel really safe and welcome and included and at peace with one another, which is all wonderful. That's right. And yet, um, in that church context, there's a lot of kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven breaking into us and mm-hmm. convicting us and mm-hmm. calling us back to the covenant right or being renewed by scripture or being sent out yeah. in an evangelistic way that could all be lacking yeah yeah huh. so i think the best fit for the pastoral grace is within an apostolic wineskin hmm. because it it allows the grace to flow but it acknowledges that just this grace alone won't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people will be safe and feel like family and feel connected, but will they arrive in their destinies? Mm-hmm. No, they won't. Like, will they, will they get a touch from God that changes their life like happened to me at 16 years old? Probably not. Wow. I actually rely, my grace that's a portion, been a portion to me relies on the grace of others around mm-hmm. to fulfill, right? The calling of seeing people thrive in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's got to be the goal. The goal can't be just safe, connected friendship. That's great. But is that the end goal? Hmm. No, I don't think that's the end goal. Yeah. I think the end goal is people fully alive people understanding who they are, Mm -hmm. people finding their people and their tribe, people activated, equipped, and mobilized to go do what they're on this earth to go do. Mm -hmm. And you only get that in an apostolic context. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's important to recognize 
every gift set has its strengths and its liabilities. Mm-hmm. That if we don't link arms, we don't honor the other gifts around us, right? We're all going to create these little mini ecosystems that exist around our own grace sets, mm-hmm. and it won't work. It won't actually accomplish what what needs to be accomplished. And, you know, unfortunately, it's a little bit of an indictment on the church in Western culture. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why people are at one church for three years, and then they go, you know what, There's, we're going to go somewhere else. And then they, yeah. you know, four years, and then we're going to go somewhere else. Three years, you know, why? Because they they themselves intuitively can sense, like, we're not activated or not accomplishing why we're here. Like, it's almost like we need a different context to help these unfulfilled parts of us activate. Oh, yeah, it's good. I have a clarifying question. You talk about the need for a past, the pastoral to be submitted to the apostolic wineskin. Yeah. When you use apostolic wineskin, is that like essentially the same as saying fivefold ministry? Is that like what fivefold ministry should look like at its best is like under is like apostolic. Those are, I'm just, I'm still kind of confused on that. If you could yeah. bring clarity to that. I think when I think of an apostolic wineskin, I think of um, that the apostolic is connected to blueprints from, from God himself. Like God wants to release a blueprint of what does he want to do in this region or in this movement, right? And then the wine skin, the, the, the skin, the form holds what is poured into the wine skin, yeah. right? Which is the wine. So what is the wine? What is the, what is the release from heaven, if you will? Um, and then what is the skin, the, the form, the flexible form that's actually going to be a container for what God's pouring out in the wine? So an apostolic wine skin um, pulls the other gifts around it, which are the fivefold. Mm-hmm. So not just the fivefold, but also the Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 gifts, all the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit that were bestowed upon the saints, right? Um, but an apostolic wine skin pulls the Ephesians 4.11 gifts around it I believe to equip, which is what Ephesians 4 is talking about, they're to equip the saints for works of ministry. So there's this equipping and governmental flow that are both shaping an apostolic wineskin. Mm-hmm. The container that holds the new wine that's being released from heaven mm-hmm. is about blueprints. God, what do you want to do? This is not about what we want to build, yeah. right? And that's not a Tower of Babel. It's what do you want to build? Blueprints are received by the spirit of God into the apostolic leaders. And then the other gifts are like magnetically pulled around that Mm -hmm. to form government governance and equipping that equips the saints for what they're called to do. The works of ministry in that particular location. Yeah. That's okay. that's how I would describe yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's good. And I I don't I don't really have I just haven't had language around this. Um and I don't I, feel, I don't know if this is off topic, but do you like apostolic like should every church operate 
as like from an apostolic wineskin? Am I asking that question right? Is that even a good question? Sure. You know, like how would I you how, how would you answer that? It's a great question. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> yeah, no, there, that, and that's there fine. are there are some who believe mm-hmm. um, that a pa, an apostolic leader is not just for one congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we see that with Paul's ministry. Yeah, we see him traveling along the trade routes, right? Yeah, uh, churches, the gospels preached, churches start to come to life. Paul's raising up Silas, Timothy, mm-hmm. these pastors to take an elder role right a mm-hmm. shepherding role and yeah. uh, so we certainly see that I I often wonder if that's um, one of the best applications mm-hmm. is maybe more congregations would flourish hmm. with apostolic DNA in them even if they're led by a local pastor or a team of fivefold ministers. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's very possible okay. that that's what, you know, mm-hmm. we get to. Um, I would also say, um, speaking very personally, my personal belief yeah. of watching a lot of pastors experience burnout mm-hmm. is, is directly connected to this question. Yeah. When you're a pastor and you're leading a congregation and you don't have apostolic and prophetic connecting you heaven to earth mm-hmm. you're having to generate a lot of your own waves yourself mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the factors leading to pastoral burnout mm-hmm. in our nation yeah is we don't have a lot of pastors don't have connection to those other gifts mm-hmm. that are actually bringing heaven's stuff to the earth sure yeah and therefore the burden of carrying that doing that all yourself or trying to do that or trying to you know Mm -hmm. is a lot yeah so Mm -hmm. those are my thoughts no totally thanks for thanks for answering that i'm also just for the listener i feel like asking some of these bigger questions to justin because he is an elder at riverhouse too and, Mm -hmm. and kind of is over um a lot of these just bigger thoughts that I know the church mm-hmm. has been going through that yeah. you guys have been wrestling with as an elder team. And, and we didn't say that from the beginning, but um, that's where I felt like I wanted to go a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. You have anything, Benjamin? Oh, I just, I'm aware that maybe we should land the plane. Oh, wow. I know. I was it's just getting started. This time really flew. That really flew. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just to be sensitive of time, we yeah. really appreciate everything that you've brought. Absolutely. I think this has illuminated a lot of good thoughts for me. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. For sure. And also, I'm grateful that we've been having all of these conversations mm-hmm. because it makes me celebrate how hmm, how healthy I think our church is and is aspiring to be still. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that in your humility, you recognize that we're not doing everything pastorally perfectly. Mm -hmm. We have room to grow, which makes me think maybe we're not really operating in that five fold in the way that we want to just yet, but it's like a target and we're Mm -hmm. on the way and we're becoming. And I celebrate that in humility. We recognize that there's a lot of flaws, Mm -hmm. um, but we're doing our best Mm -hmm. to follow the model of Mm -hmm. Jesus that he lays out for us in scripture and um, and uh, yeah, this is just a reminder for me of that. So 
Yeah, I pray that you, listener, whatever you feel like you might be wrestling with when it comes to church in general or Riverhouse specifically, that you would see the heart in this conversation and recognize that we don't see ourselves as perfect, but we're really doing our best uh, to be the holistic body of Christ how we can. That's good. Well said. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. I really appreciate it. it. And I would literally honor you so much because you, you do, you have pastored so well Mm -hmm. through um, so much on this on as an elder team as on staff and seeing you develop all these house churches um is one so needed but also it's being done with such humility mm-hmm. being done with excellence and so we honor you for that Thanks, thank, thank you for joining us as well you're welcome guys thank you and honor you for the all the behind the scenes pastoral conversations too mm-hmm. oh yeah when a big fire burns somewhere within the church Justin Ross is always to the rescue. (laughs) And we're so grateful for you. (laughs) I love my job. Yeah. Praise God. We love that. Good. Well, thanks, listener, for tuning in with us. If you'd like to engage with this conversation more, have questions, feel free to email us at deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. We are so glad that you tuned in. Yeah. Have the best weekend. Know that you are loved and seen, and we want you to be a part of this community and that you are not alone ever. (laughs) We love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Waters Podcast. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, maybe even a recipe or two, please send them to deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. And if you would like to join us at Riverhouse for Sunday service, we meet at the Vineyard Boise at 4 p.m. We'd love to see you there. We cannot do this podcast without a little help from our friends. Our theme music was written and recorded by the Riverhouse Worship Team. Production is done by Jordan Sodeman. Special thanks to Isaiah Guerrero for our artwork. Benjamin Olson writes and co-hosts with me, Jace Langley, and I also edit this bad boy. If you like this podcast and want to keep going on this journey of discipleship with us, please leave us a review wherever you listen to the Deep Waters Podcast. May Christ be with you wherever you go.